Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. If you tuned in last week, then you know what's up this week. This is part two of my chat with Tom Stewart, seasoned broadcasting professional and former paranormal investigator and experiencer. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you probably want to check that out first so you get the scoop on Tom's earliest paranormal experiences, his background, and some of his ghost hunting basics. In part two, we're going to dive right into Tom's experience living in a very, very haunted house for two years. Yeah, what the what. We also discuss his podcast, which is chock full of paranormal goodies, and we go further into his tried and true ghost hunting tips. He's got about 10 years of paranormal investigating under his belt, so amateur ghost hunters out there, listen up. Well, I want to go back to the haunted house in your 30s. I guess set the scene for me. Who's living in this house? What's happening? (laughs) You live in this house and you're like, now I need to be a paranormal investigator. So I really want to know what happened. Well, that was uh, definitely an angry spirit for sure. A friend of mine lived in this house in Providence and he had three roommates. And I used to go over there and visit all the time when I would talk to his roommates and everything like that. And two of his roommates were girls and they lived in the bedrooms upstairs. And they would always talk about seeing ghosts up there and that the house was haunted, blah, blah, blah. And my friend and I, we would just laugh because they're girls and they think every noise is a ghost, you know, and we would tease them and whatnot. And then one of the girls moves out and I needed a place to live. So I moved into the bedroom that she moved out of on the second floor. (laughs) And sure enough, After a while, while I'm living there, weird things started happening. And at first, I thought people were just screwing with me. It was simple little things like I'm an OCD type of person where if I open a drawer in a bureau, I close it. If I open the closet to get something, I close the door. I'm a a closer. I close everything. So I would grab my clothes, grab a towel, whatever, go take a shower. I would come back to my bedroom and every drawer and every closet door is open in my bedroom. And I'd be like, what is going on here? Like, I know I didn't do that. No, you know? thank you. And it was just little <laughs> things like that were adding up. I had two autographed baseballs in plastic cubes to preserve them on my bureau. They were on the back of the bureau up against the wall, like flush up against the wall. I come home from work one day and they've been moved to the very front edge of the bureau. And I'm like, who's been in my room? And, you know, every roommate's like, we weren't in your room, dude. So it was just stuff like that just kept happening. And then one of the weirdest things was, it was late at night, one, two in the morning. I'm at my computer desk in my bedroom playing a video game or something. And to my right, there's a, I had a floor mirror, like one of those oval shovel mirrors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those things kind of pivot. You can kind of adjust them. Well, as I'm sitting there at my computer, out of the corner of my eye, I can see the mirror tilting. And it just keeps going to the point where it's horizontal now. <laughs> just a slow tilt all the way till it's horizontal. And I just sat there looking at it going, well, that's interesting. (laughs) So after it stopped and a few minutes go by, I finally decided to 
to try to adjust it. And the nuts were still kind of tight. Like I had to loosen it to put it back down into its place again and then tightened them up. And the whole time thinking this is going to be like a movie, I'm going to see something in the mirror behind me or something, but there was nothing there. So it was a lot of little things like that. Lots of weird, weird nightmares. I used to have a lot of dreams about dying. And I would in the dream, see myself in a coffin and wake up in bed with like my arms across my chest, like someone in a coffin. Sometimes I would dream about friends or family dying and I would wake up just crying from the dream. And my girlfriend at the time, she would sleep over, she would have nightmares. And then she started saying she was seeing things in the bedroom. There was like a black mass that would be in the corner of the bedroom, sometimes in the middle of the night, and it would scare the hell out of her. So these things started adding up, you know? Yeah. And one of the girls who had lived upstairs in the other bedroom, she had moved down to the basement. And she kept telling me that when she lived up there, she kept seeing a ghost up there. So I never really asked her about it. But then one night I saw the ghost. It was about two or three in the morning. I'm in bed asleep and I can feel something sit on my bed. Now, I thought it was my roommate's cat. The cat would come into the bedroom quite a bit and sleep on my bed during the night, which I was fine with. But then I felt whatever it was on my bed moving up towards me. And when I opened my eyes, I saw an old man straddling me on my chest and I could feel the weight of him on my chest, on the bed. And he was swinging at me, like trying to punch me in the face. So, you know, I immediately throw up my arms. I'm trying to protect myself. I jump out of bed and I throw on the lights and there's no one there. There's nothing there. And I'm like, wow. The next day I ask my roommate about it, who used to live upstairs. She's in the basement now. And I'm like, tell me what the ghost looked like. And she described this old guy to a T, exactly what I saw. Old, wrinkly face, like an old black like top hat. And he just had like black clothing on and he was angry. And she told me that she would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and she would just open her eyes and his face would be right in her face, like oh, right up against her an inch no. or two away. That's why she moved out of the upstairs. Guy would move out of so, the fucking house. <laughs> I know, right? So at this point, I'm researching a lot. I'm trying to figure out how can I make this go away or how can I make it not angry? And I'm doing things like sage and I'm doing things like uh, dragon's blood and stuff like that. So my other roommate, the one that, I used to joke around with when the girls were saying it was haunted before I moved in. I was telling him my story one day and he goes, you know what? That happened to me once too. And I'm like, shut up. And now he's not the type that would ever talk about seeing a ghost or anything. He was like a guy guy. You know what I mean? It would, you know, he would never talk about this. But when I told him what I experienced, his face was white and I knew he was being completely honest with me. He was like a couple of years ago, That bedroom you're sleeping in, that was my bedroom at one time. He goes, and the same thing happened to me. He goes, I woke up and there was an old guy trying to attack me. And he goes, I just thought I was drunk and imagined it or was dreaming it or something. And so now that's three of us in the house who had seen this old guy. It was blowing my mind. A couple weeks later or so, I come home from work and my roommate's downstairs and there's some guy in the house with him. I don't know him, but he's like, oh, Tom, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. He's my friend. He lives out in California, but he's in town visiting. And I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And he tells me, oh, yeah, he used to live in the house, too. He used to stay in your bedroom. I'm like, really? The guy looks at me and goes, have you seen the old man yet? And I'm like, shut up. Like, this guy (laughs) experienced it, too. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Eventually, I moved out of the house just because I needed to for a job. 
wasn't because I was afraid. I'd actually gotten to the point where I got enough of the knowledge to try to keep this thing at bay, you know, and it wasn't as haunted. But we all eventually ended up moving out of that house into different places and we would reminisce about that old guy there. And and once I became an investigator, I did some research on the house and I found out that there's a history of that neighborhood where this one guy owned all the land, but the city was trying to take the land from him so they could build on it and he wouldn't give it up. He wouldn't sell it and he was angry. And I guess when he died, they took the land and ended up building houses and businesses and stuff on his land. And supposedly the history of it is, is that he goes around from house to house trying to kick people out of the houses because it's his land. That's what I was able to determine, you know, urban legend kind of, but Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe it's just not even that house. It could be all the houses on that neighborhood. You didn't investigate that further to see if the neighbors had any experiences. I guess that's kind of a weird call. There was one neighbor we were friendly with and they told us they had all kinds of weird things that would happen in their house, but they didn't say anything about the old man, Mm. but they definitely felt their house was haunted too. But that was the only neighbor we were friendly with. Yeah. Um, You said you used the typical stuff, dragon's blood and sage. And mm -hmm. did you come up with a combination of something that helped you sleep easier at night and feel like he was kind of at bay? I just took control of my environment. I just basically would tell it, leave me alone. I need to sleep tonight or go to someone else's bedroom, leave mine. I just kind of took control of my area. And I don't know if it's a psychological thing or if it actually works, but it's what I tell everybody that if you feel like you're in a situation where there's some spirit bothering you, you got to let it know that this is your space and without provoking it or being mean to it, just be stern and say, this is my room and I need it to be quiet. So you need to leave me alone tonight. You know, also give it freedom to let it do its thing at other times. So there were other times where I wouldn't have any sage or any dragon's blood. And if it wanted to rearrange something on my bureau, I wouldn't get mad at it. I would just put the stuff back. You know, it's almost like having a roommate. You have to kind of work with it a little bit, but if you really want it to go away, burning sage helps dragon's blood which is a scented oil, you can try burning some of that. In some cases, it might come back stronger because it's pissed off because you did that. Mm -hmm. But if you really just need it to go away for a couple of days, that seems to work. I know that a lot of people have had experiences like this and they try a bunch of stuff and nothing seems to work. And it does always come back to, you have to take ownership of your space and you have to say, I need you to leave me alone at the very least these hours that I sleep. Right. And you really have to be firm and consistent with that. Right. It can't just be like, Oh no, go away. Yeah. 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 Just be stern with it. Just let it know that you're in charge without provoking it and making it angry. Just letting it know, putting your foot down and saying, look, this, this is my home now. And I know it used to be yours, but it's mine now. And if you want to stay, you have to respect my boundaries. You started out as a kid, you have these early sort of paranormal experiences. You have this amazing time in the cemetery. And then you move into this house in your 30s. You have this weird experience. You go to paranormal investigations. And then eventually you start a podcast. When did you start the podcast and what was the inspiration for it? I started the podcast in 2018. And basically, all my life, I've been telling people my little spooky stories, you know, 
somebody would bring something up and I'd be like, oh yeah, well, that reminds me of the time this happened to me or this happened to me. And I just noticed that everybody always loved hearing my stories. And I was like, I need to get these documented somehow. Someday I might forget them, or maybe I can reach a bigger audience with them. So when podcasting became a thing, and with my radio experience, having worked in radio, I was like, this seems like the perfect venue for me to tell my stories. So I eventually got around to it. But yeah, I started telling every couple of weeks, I tell a new story on my podcast of something I've experienced, whether it be in my personal life or maybe a story from one of my paranormal investigations. And every episode is like a little campfire story of someone telling you a spooky story. And that was basically it. And I just figured a few of my friends will probably listen to it. Maybe they'll tell a few of their friends or something. But I'm almost at 50 episodes now. And I've got thousands of people listening. And I get emails every week. And people have made donations. And it's just been really fun to tell my stories and communicate with other people about their stories. I, I get emails of people telling me their story all the time and I love reading them and I love commenting on them. And it's been really a fun little adventure for me. Are these stories that you tell on the podcast true or? They're, I like to say they're all true, especially the first probably 15 to 20 are like from beginning to end, what really happened. The investigation stories are pretty much what happened. And a lot of times in I will play some of the evidence, some of the EVPs that were captured during it. So you'll actually hear a ghost talking on some of these episodes, or you might be able to go to the website and see a video of something I talked about happening, and we had video evidence of it. But as I've gotten into the later episodes, the memories get fuzzy, and I just think of something that happened one time, and then I think of something else that happened one time, and I'll combine them and make that one whole story. Gotcha. You know, even though they happen two different times, I'll put them in the same time, things like that. And I dress it up. So there's lots of dramatic pauses and I have spooky music in the background. I like to think of my podcast as old timey radio before we had television, when people would gather around the radio in the living room, the family would listen to a horror story or an adventure story. And you kind of had to just picture it in your mind and the narrator would kind of paint the picture for you with words. I try to do that with my stories. So it's not a typical podcast where it's two or three people talking and interviewing and stuff. It's just me telling a story that is kind of spooky and elements of it, if not all of it, were a real life experience for me. I know there are some paranormal podcasts where it's just a story and it's not true. I've listened to some mm -hmm. of those, but the fact that there's some truth woven into yours and in the very beginning, they're, they're all true. I think that's what makes it more exciting. It's kind of thrilling to know that these things really happen to you. Yeah. I think a lot of people relate to the stories because a lot of people are having similar experiences. And so I think that might be part of the draw. I I'm noticing that a lot of families are listening together. I I'll get emails from someone that says, oh, I listen with my mom and my sister or something like that. So I love that it's touching people in that way. I'm no Stephen King. I'm not going to be able to write stories like he does, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to, trying to take the memories of some of the things that I've experienced and put them into story form in some way. It's been a lot of fun to do. I hope it's educational too. A lot of the things I'll do in my stories is I'll explain what the phenomenon is that I'm experiencing. From a paranormal perspective, what do I believe that is? Why is it happening? Or if it's an episode about an investigation, I'll talk about the devices that I'm using and why we use them and how they're used or why we believe this or that. 
So I talk a lot about safety too. I tell people, don't do this, don't do that. You know, I snuck into a cemetery at 14. I don't think you should be doing that. Warnings I can give out are things that I did and I was lucky I didn't get hurt. Yeah. Like you said before, this is a time where this stuff is becoming more and more mainstream. And the good part of it is that it's allowing people to feel comfortable to share their stories and feel comfortable listening to other people talk about it. And so it's kind of taking that stigma away from it. I think that's a great thing. And you recently wrote a book, right, to further educate people. Tell me about that. What's the scoop with the book? I've always wanted to write a book. And I eventually want to write a book that has all my stories in it from the podcast, kind of like a book of short stories. But I had never written a book. I'd never produced a book, published a book. So I figured I'll try publishing a book that'll be easier to write at first. And I was inspired by watching a lot of these paranormal shows during the lockdowns and during the pandemic. And I'm just seeing them use all these gadgets like we were talking about, all these electronic things and these beeping things and talking boxes. And I was like, I want to write a book that basically tells you what tools you should be using if you want to be a paranormal investigator. So I wrote a book called The 10 Best Tools for Ghost Hunting. And I basically list the 10 items that I think are most important and most useful during an investigation. I describe what the gadget is. I describe how to use it. I describe how it works, why we use it. I give examples of how I've used it and gotten positive results from it. And I throw in some humor in the book too. So it's entertaining in that way as well. I tell a little bit of a story. I tell a few, you know, punny, jokey things here and there, but it's also information and and educational too. I stress a lot about safety in it. You know, it's a lot of the basic tools, like I mentioned, audio recorder, video recorder, but it's also common sense things too, like a flashlight, you know, (laughs) or just your senses, your hearing, your sight, your smell, your touch maybe not taste so much because I don't want people going around licking things on an investigation, (laughs) but the other four definitely, but also your instincts too. And I I think I might do a follow-up book of the 10 worst tools and just really out some of these garbage gadgets that they use on these investigations. And maybe I'll piss a few people off. Well, I definitely want to plug these books and I want to get that book from you, the 10 best tools and the 10 worst tools when it comes out. But I want to ask, can you give us like one of the worst tools for ghost hunting? One of the worst? I'll give you two. I'll give you a gadget and then I'll give you a non-gadget thing. Any kind of a spirit box, talking box, any kind of electronic box that supposedly is the ghost communicating, I think is just trash. There's no evidence that supports that a spirit knows how to manipulate an electronic box to have it say words. There's no reason for a spirit to even know how to do that. We don't even know how to do that. Why would a spirit know how to do that? It's believed that spirits use electromagnetic energy to manifest. So sometimes they can imprint a sound or a voice onto a recorder. But these gadgets are just databases of words, and they just kind of spit these words out randomly. And if you're a thrill seeker, every word it says is evidence of something the spirit's right. trying to say. It's giving you power of suggestion in real time. So if it yells out the word apple, it's going to say, oh, I think there was an apple tree on this property. It must be the, the farmer. You're going to find a way, you know, you're working backwards. You're hearing something and saying it's evidence based on what you're already believing. Right. And you should be doing it the other way around. The evidence should lead you to what you want to believe. It's just like a jukebox spitting out words randomly and you do what you want with them. And there's a bunch of them out there. And they, there's some that just have phonetics 
and they piece them together to make words. There's others that have actual word databases. And some of them are even phone apps now too, which is the worst because the last thing you want to have on an investigation is your cell phone because it will interfere with every gadget that you actually use. Cell phones, they're using energy around you and it's just going to screw everything up. So I stay away from those. I think those are all garbage. If you want to hear a ghost talk, the best way to do it is with electronic voice phenomenon, which is an EVP. Use an audio or video recorder, press record, ask questions, leave pauses for time for them to answer, and then review that audio later, and you might hear some voices. I've heard some incredible EVPs over the years that would knock your socks off. That's the best way to do it. I think these these boxes with voices are garbage. The other thing I think is the worst tool is your dog. I'm seeing a lot of that lately (laughs) where people are, oh, animals have instincts. They know when something's there. Let's bring the dog on the investigation. Well, that might be true that dogs can sense spirits that are around us. Unfortunately, dogs can't talk. So we don't know what they're actually sensing. They could be hearing a sound that we can't hear. They could smell a rodent in the wall and we don't know that's what it is. The dog's reacting to something. It doesn't mean it's a ghost. So it's dangerous to bring a dog, especially your own dog, bringing it into a haunted place. It's some old dark place that they've never been before. And you're a little scared and everyone knows your dog reacts to how your emotions are. So if you're acting scared, your dog's going to react to your emotions. Of course. You don't know if the dog's going to get scared, if it's going to want to run away. If you have it on a leash, it's going to try and run while you're trying to hold the leash. Puts you in danger, puts the animal in danger. It's the worst. It's just worse for everybody. And you're really not getting any data or evidence from that dog other than it reacting to something and you don't know what it is. <laughs> so that is would definitely be in the top of my list of the worst things to use. I could definitely see investigators, especially amateur investigators, bringing their animals. <laughs> yeah, it's happening a lot lately. <laughs> Dogs can sniff out guns. They can sniff out dead bodies. and st- But they're trained to those things because those right. things are real things. So they can be trained to find those things. <laughs> we don't know how to train something to find a ghost because... We don't know how to find a ghost. <laughs> so there's no way you that. can train a dog to do it. Yeah, we're getting closer, but I don't think dogs or, or any other animal for that matter is the way to go. Yeah. And you talk about safety and protection in your book as well. That's a big mm-hmm. thing, I think, with that track that we were talking about earlier, the track that's out there to educate and to inform and to help others with their paranormal entities or with whatever situations happening in their home. Can you just give like a, a couple of things that you would say just to the, the amateur investigators out there, how to protect yourself, how to be safe in an investigation? Okay. There's a few things. First, never do it alone. Never go into any situation alone. Always have someone else with you. So if something happens, you get hurt, whatever, there's someone else there that can help you. Always let people know where you're going. So if you're in a big place and you're with a group and two of you go off somewhere, let someone else know that that's where you're going so they'll know where to find you if something happens. Before you start an investigation, you should always, always, always Take a lap around the whole place, every room, every staircase, every door, lights on, and get a feel for the place. Get an idea of where everything is, where you're going. That way you kind of have that in the back of your mind before you shut the lights off and you start walking around in the dark. So always do a walkthrough beforehand. Copy that. Um, And take notes if you have to, if there's something like, oh, there's no railing on this staircase. Everybody take a note of that or something. While investigating, every single person should have a flashlight 
I see a lot where you try to save money and two or three of you go off and only one of you has a flashlight. You all need a flashlight because you never know when you need to see something. So everybody should be holding a flashlight that works. Never go someplace without permission because you just don't know what's in there. You don't know how dangerous it is. That includes cemeteries, even though I'm a hypocrite because I snuck into cemeteries as a kid. (laughs) Cemeteries are almost always private property. So you're trespassing if you go in there after hours. So don't do it because the police will arrest you. You can get into trouble and you don't know who else might be in there. We always kept a first aid kit on hand. We always had walkie-talkies. So everybody has a walkie-talkie, at least one in the group that you're with so that you can communicate to others. It's a lot of common sense stuff, really. Wear proper attire. Don't you know, be walking around some old attic in your flip-flops. <laughs> you're going to step on a nail yeah. or you're going to stub her toe or something. Don't do stupid things. Don't provoke. Don't go into places that look dangerous. If it's an old building and the floor looks really weak, don't walk on it. Stay away from it. It's not worth getting hurt to try to see a ghost for two seconds. It's just not worth it. And and it seems like you're very respectful of the process. If you do encounter something, you, you're not like, hey, tell me exactly what I need to know. You're not pushy with the entity. I think you have to show a lot of respect, just like you would to another person. Think of a spirit as a person and be respectful, be kind to it, and you'll get better results that way. You know? I agree. And if you get a feeling in your gut that it doesn't want you there, respect that and leave. Give it its space. You know what I mean? You're intruding in a way. But one more thing I want to throw in for safety. If you're a private investigator group and you're investigating a person's house, they've come to you, they think their house is haunted, they would like your assistance. Meet them someplace in public first, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, something like that. Get to know who they are first. Do a little pre-interview. Ask some good questions about them. Get to know who they are before you end up in their house and you find out that they're you know, going to kidnap you and tie you up and put you in the basement. Like, oh be careful God. because you never know. These people are strangers. It's good to just get to know them a little, get a little instincts going. I didn't even think of that. You should probably be pretty picky, especially if you're finding them on the internet. You don't even think about that part. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're going to join a team, make sure that they're a team that does things safely. Make sure that they have a lot of the same ideas and practices that you will have. When I met with Rise Up Paranormal, I knew right away that they were the ones I wanted to to be with because they thought about everything the same way I did. They have a very skeptical and scientific approach. Like we believe this is real, but we don't believe everything that's happening is real. And they questioned everything. They were curious, they were adventurous, and they were just a bunch of fun guys and girls. We laughed, we joked around the first night. I felt like I was part of the family. That's what you want to look for if you're in a paranormal group. Try and do it with people that you know or people that just have a lot in common with you and don't let them put you in any kind of danger. Yeah, that's great advice, really. You definitely have to be careful with the kind of people you're working with. There's been a couple of times where we interviewed a client or we swung by their house like during the day real quick and just knew that, nope, this isn't a place we want to be spending time. Like The house was just in total disarray. Maybe they're hoarders. Maybe they're just weirdos. And it's not worth taking the chances. There's other cases that you can go on out there. I think a lot of amateur investigators are like, we have to take every single client when it's like, no, you still need to be cautious. Sometimes people want to call something a haunting because they don't want to face what's really going on. Maybe it's somebody in the family who's sick. Maybe it's somebody in the house with a mental disability and they're trying to excuse the things that are happening, saying it's paranormal when it's really not. 
you don't want to get involved with stuff like that because it's not your expertise. With Rise Up, we actually had some people with psychology experience, like they actually work in the field. So they would do a lot of the pre-interviews with people to try and find out if they really are experiencing something paranormal or is it something psychological? Because we can't help them with a psychological issue, but paranormal we can. So you want to be objective too. You don't want to just take every case and take their word for it that it's a haunting because you might be making their situation worse by entertaining the idea, by lending more credence to it. But you, you really should have like a bunch of questions to ask a, a potential client about everyone's health in the family. Is anyone taking any kind of prescription drugs? Is anyone taking illegal drugs? Things like that. You have to ask all those questions to know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And so that way you can be objective and take the actual clients you can help and avoid the ones that you can't. It's a lot of work. Yeah. That's the main reason why I don't hardly do it anymore. My hat's off to everybody at, at Rise Up Paranormal because they still do it until the pandemic came along, but they're still out there doing it all the time. I miss doing it. I loved doing it, but I just have too many other things going on in my life. So I focus on what I can do for the paranormal field, which is tell my stories on the podcast, do interviews like this, where I kind of give out information that people may not know. Sometimes some of my friends who are in paranormal groups will send me an EVP and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or ask me advice on something. Or every once in a while, somebody I know will know that I'm into this stuff and ask me questions about something they're experiencing. So there's always ways you can help people. If, if you're doing it for fame, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It, it, you, know, you should only become famous for doing it by accident. I tend to ask people the same question at the end, and it's, what's the most profound spiritual, paranormal, supernatural woo experience you've ever had? We might have already touched on it, but is there something different that you you haven't mentioned? Yeah, I've definitely mentioned a few already. Like really good Uh, ones, too. I'm trying to think if there's one that I haven't said that would classify. I'll tell you about the very first EVP I ever caught. When you become a paranormal investigator, it's kind of like popping your cherry. You get your first EVP. It's <laughs> your <laughs> you know? rite of passage. Yeah, kind of. And I had already been on maybe four or five investigations with Rise Up in the beginning, and, and I hadn't caught anything on my audio recorder yet. But then we were investigating Fort Adams in Newport, Rhode Island. Huge, huge, huge old military fort. And there was a few of us investigators in one of the rooms. It was a commander's quarters or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically where they would stay. It was their room. And the investigators were off on one side of the room, kind of all congregated together doing an EVP session. We all had our audio recorders out, but I kind of went off to the other side of the room and just sat on this bench by myself. And I had my audio recorder there next to me recording. We did our EVP session and da, 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 and then went our way. A couple of days later, I review my audio, like you're supposed to after an investigation. And I got to that part where I'm sitting on that bench And one of the other investigators had asked the question, do you want us to be here? Should we leave? And on my recorder, I heard a voice, a deep male voice say, go. Just like that. Very breathy, go. And it it freaked me out at first because I'd listened to hours and hours of audio from all our investigations up to that point and never caught anything. And I'm sitting in my house by myself in the dark. Nothing (laughs) else is on because you can't review EVPs with the TV on or something. So you're sitting there all by yourself. You're setting yourself up for this. And then I hear this voice say, go. And I was like, whoa. And then I had to rewind it and listen to it again and listen to it again. And eventually I was excited because, ah, that's got to be an EVP. I finally caught one. And 
and I share it with the other people in the group and they all confirm that, yeah, that's definitely an EVP. So that was probably my woo moment because it was my very first EVP and it was a pretty cool. Do you still have that EVP? I do have it. Yeah. Yeah. I still have it saved somewhere. I have a whole folder of stuff in my computer. Have you shared that specific one on your podcast? I have. The episode is actually called my first EVP. Okay, great. You'll actually hear the guy say go. And there's a bunch of episodes where you'll actually hear the real EVP from the investigation that I talk about. There's another one where it was a really interesting EVP. It wasn't one I caught, but someone else from Rise Up caught it. We were doing our walkthrough of this place we were investigating. The lights were all on. We weren't even investigating yet. We hadn't even set up equipment. But one member of the group, Julie, she's the type that her handheld video camera is always on. It's always recording no matter what. So during the walkthrough, she had it with her. And for some reason, she decided to review that audio later on after the investigation. And she caught an EVP of what sounded like a little girl saying, they're coming, they're coming, as we were walking up the steps. Okay. Now, what's significant about that, not just that we recorded the voice of a little girl, there was no little girls in this building, and that she knew we were coming, but Mm -hmm. that it, it sounds like she's telling someone else Exactly. She was warning someone that we were coming. (laughs) Not even on any of the TV shows. I have never heard them present an EVP where the spirit was warning other spirits about the humans. The living people are on their way. (laughs) Then we had one where the EVP spoke to us in a foreign language. We were in a mill that was from a famously French cultural area. And back in the day, this mill was run by people who spoke French. And one of the EVPs we caught was the EVP saying something in French to us. The voice said, merci beaucoup. Oh. <laughs> we were saying, thank you very much for letting us be here. We're very polite like that. And somebody in the group said, merci beaucoup. And on the recorder, and we caught it on a few recorders, including mine, you hear the voice say back, merci beaucoup, as if it was saying it back to us. Wow. So it was amazing. Amazing when you get it on more than one recorder too. Yeah, there was three of us who caught it. And at the time I was using a parabolic dish that you can buy. People usually use them for bird watching. They'll use the parabolic bit dish put on headphones and try to find birds based on the noises they make. Hmm. But I used it for paranormal investigation where I put a splitter on it and the splitter would go to a recorder that I strapped to it to record audio. But I could also listen with live time through my headphones that I plugged into the other side of the splitter. And I didn't hear the Merci Buku when it happened, but it did end up on my recorder and it was amplified because I was using the dish where the other two recorders, you could hear it, but it was muffled in the background. But my dish just happened to be pointing in the right position at the right time. And you can hear it really clearly. That's a pretty cool contraption. Did you come up with that yourself or yeah, had that, that been was, used? Yeah, that was kind of like my idea where I just kind of was like, hmm, how can I use this for paranormal investigation? <laughs> I do that with everything. It, it's funny because the time I saw it, I was on a paranormal investigation. We were out in the woods and there was a guy out there wearing the headphones with this parabolic dish. And we were like, what are you doing with that thing? And he's like, I'm a bird watcher. And he goes, and I can tell what bird is where based on the sound. He's like, because sometimes I can't see the bird very well, but if I use the dish, I can focus in on it and hear this, the chirping it makes. And I know the, the bird by the chirp. And I'm like, I wonder if that could work with paranormal investigation and working in radio and with electronics my whole life. I was just like, let me just put a splitter into the headphone jack. And then yeah. I can record with one part and then listen with the other. 
And it became a gadget I used to use a lot on paranormal investigation. Brilliant. Um, you know, that's you a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? I could Make be selling fancy. my own gadgets. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, like uh, put but, some cool colors on there and give it a brand. And yeah. Yeah. Just I'd put some one. flashing lights on it and everybody will want it. <laughs> exactly. You know? Maybe I can put an, an EMF detector built into it or something too. Yeah. That's one thing I liked about being with Rise of Paranormal too was everybody used to think outside the box. There were a few of us who were big on experimenting. We loved to experiment things. I used to do lots of things with coins because you hear a lot of stories about coins being related to paranormal activity. I would put a quarter somewhere and put it on a piece of paper and draw a circle around it and see if the quarter ever moves. There was another experiment that I did. This one I thought was interesting. And to this day, I still think it's proof of something. The idea with an EVP is that the sound isn't in the room, but that it's being placed on the recorder through electromagnetic energy. Right. So it's not something you're going to hear, but if you play it back, you're going to hear it. That's one of the theories. The other theory is that maybe it's sound in the room that we can't hear because it's below or above our spectrum of hearing, sort of like a dog whistle. We can't hear a dog whistle because the pitch of a dog whistle is higher than our spectrum of hearing. But dogs have different hearing than us, so they can hear it. Well, it's believed that EVPs are likely in the realm below what we can hear. So a human can hear between 20 and 20,000 megahertz. So we believe that EVPs are actually in somewhere around the 10 to 15 megahertz. So it's below what we can hear. But a recorder has no limitations like that. And when the recorder plays it back, we can hear it. And that's why it sounds distorted. That's one of the theories. But one of my other theories is that it's being done electronically. So what I did was is I took two audio recorders. And if some investigator listening wants to duplicate this someday, please do it. I took two identical audio recorders and I disabled the record function on one of them by cutting off a headphone jack and jamming it into the recording pot. So Hmm. if you were to connect a microphone to the audio, you plug it in and then the audio would go through the microphone. But because it was just a cut wire by sticking it in there, the recorder could not record anything. So I tested it out. I would press record, scream at it, It can't hear anything anymore because I disabled it. So I took both recorders, one with the disabled, one that still records, and pressed record on both of them at the same time and recorded a room where we had had lots of luck getting EVPs. And sure enough, I caught an EVP on the recorders. Now, the regular recorder that I hadn't done anything to, when I played the audio, you can see where the sound is from the EVP in the audio program. You Mm -hmm. see the waves. And you can see the bump in the waves of where the sound is. At the same exact timestamp on that uh, recorder, the other recorder showed a distortion. The recorder that couldn't record anything, when you look at it in the audio program, it's just little bouncy static line, almost a straight line. But at that same exact point, it jumped for some reason. Something electronic happened to that recorder at the same time that I caught the EVP. So that tells me that there's something definitely electronic happening when an EVP takes place. It didn't record any audio, but it definitely had something manipulated at the same exact second as the EVP. It's hard to do because you never know when you're going to catch an EVP. I just happened to get lucky that time because I tried it a bunch of times and that was the only time I got lucky. But that's something that is pushing this field of study forward. You have to kind of experiment and think outside the box a little. Yeah. So yeah, steal my idea and try that. If you catch an EVP, see if it distorted the other recorder that couldn't record because you disabled the function. But you can still look at what's recorded 
and it should just be white noise. But if there's a little blip there, then something's going on. Sound wasn't going to affect this audio recorder. So right. it had to have been something electronic that affected it. I don't know what it is or how that happens, but it's just, it can't be a coincidence. There's like two hours of audio and there was one EVP and there was one disturbance on the other recorder and they both happened at the same time. So this episode made me want to MacGyver a parabolic disc, EVP, EMF, ghost hunting gadget. Maybe we could have him do a video tutorial on how to make some of these ghost hunting devices. What do you guys think? I, I would watch that for sure. Please go listen to Tom's awesome stories on his podcast, My Paranormal Story, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find his books, ebooks, and audiobooks on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Check out his website at myparanormalstory.com. All of that info will also be available to you in the show notes for this episode. Also, if you're interested in checking out Rise Up Paranormal, it's super easy to find. It's riseupparanormal.com. And you can find some of those EVPs from Belcourt Castle available under the Evidence tab on their website if you want to check that out. If you have any specific questions about ghost hunting or paranormal activity, or you want to share your own paranormal experiences, or you want to know more about Tom's ghost hunting devices, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Thank you for following the Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the Order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 